The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Once again, good evening and welcome to our midweek revive service here at Maranatha Chapel. Uh, we're so glad you can join us. I, I miss you guys. I know Pastor Ray's been saying it. I miss all those awkward side hugs, all those things. The church was meant to be together, uh, but I'm so glad that we can still be together, particularly tonight in the middle of Holy Week, Passion Week, uh, the week that we remember we set aside to mark the events from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday. The celebration of Passover, and as Pastor Ray's been talking about, we're in this kind of global Passover. And 3,000 years ago, uh, families just like ours right now, they were huddled in their homes, covered under the blood. For those believers out there, we're, we're literally gathered in our homes. We're worshiping in our homes, and we are covered. Hopefully, you have covered yourself under the blood of Jesus. And if not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so by the end of this message. And so actually tonight begins the literal Passover. Uh, at sundown, Jews from all over the world will celebrate Passover. And I love it because it doesn't always happen, but the Jewish calendar and, and the Christian calendar line up when Easter and Passover, like they were meant to, that's a whole nother sermon, but when they actually line up and they are celebrated side by side. Well, if you have your Bible or device, or if you're there online in chat, you know there's a Bible right there you can access. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 32. Psalms chapter 32, and Pastor Daniel and I, for the last couple of weeks, have been going through a series we're titling Heart Cries. And looking at the Psalms, and particularly right now, they have so much to say to us, so much to teach us, uh, so much to encourage us with. So pick up with me, chapter 32, verse 1, one of the more famous psalms, one of the more powerful psalms uh, that David ever wrote. Verse 1, we read this, a maskal of David, a contemplation. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse three, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You, God, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for tonight. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are amongst the believers who have gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And I pray right now you'd give us ears to hear. I believe this message will be very encouraging, but before it's encouraging, Lord, it needs to be challenging. God, may we hear what you are saying to us personally. May we all say this is a message not for somebody else, but this is a message for me. I need to hear this. And so, Lord, challenge us so that we can get to the other side, that we can get to the joy that this psalm talks about. We thank you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. It was a challenge I presented to you, and it's a challenge that I have continued to pray and to think about during this time over these last several weeks. And the question I keep asking myself, the question I keep bringing before the Lord is, am I, am I wasting this time or am I redeeming the time? Because the reality is we can do one or the other. We can simply waste this time by distracting ourselves with Netflix, with uh, social media, with endless news cycles of what the latest headlines are, and we can just simply hope and try to get to the other side of this and get back to the way things were. Or am I redeeming the time? Am I allowing God to work in me during this time? Am I allowing God to do a greater work? I had this thought this week, that maybe it was the voice of the Lord, I'm not sure, but it was like this thought, maybe all of this is taking place. Maybe this is one way God has been answering your prayers. And I was like, what? what do you mean, Lord? You've been praying, God, purify me. God, change me. I've said, God, change me, purify me, make me the man that you want me to be, the man that I desire to be. And, and God kind of said, yeah, I'm doing that. Here's an opportunity, a time like this. Your prayer is being answered right now. Now, that's not how I expected the prayer to be answered. And certainly, I'm not narcissistic enough to think this is all happening because of me. No, no, no. There's a lot of reasons we don't know why these things are happening. But I do know this, that the God that we serve is able to turn ashes into beauty. He's able to turn our mourning into dancing. And he's able to turn self-isolation and coronavirus into a time where his, his purpose And his power and his peace, uh, uh, those things are released in our hearts and lives, where we come out of this, not simply who we were, but better and changed and different as a church collectively, listen, and as sons and daughters personally. During this time, there is revelation to be had during isolation. During the isolation, there is revelation that God wants to bring to each and every one of us. I was reading this and I was reminded of this. Isaac Newton, during the Black Plague, In the years 1,665 to 66, when the whole world was on quarantine during the Black Plague, Isaac Newton, as some of us know, was a very committed, brilliant man, but a very committed Christian. And it was during that time he described what he called his, in Latin, Annus Mirabilis, his miracle year. In that time of isolation, as he studied and applied himself, and listen, in his own accord, he prayed and asked God for revelation and insight. It was during that one year that he invented something called a prism, where he could take the light and refract it in such a way to expose all the colors that we see in a rainbow. Oh, he invented a little something called gravity. Oh, he didn't invent gravity, at least the theory and explain gravity. Oh, and and in his spare time, he invented the thing we call calculus. I would say it was a pretty productive year. I bring that up to us because during this time, we might think, oh, what's going to happen? It's a wasted time. Nothing's really happening. Oh, no, there's a lot that can happen. It was while John was on the island of Patmos in isolation that Revelation came. Literally, he wrote the book of Revelation while he was in isolation and exile during this time, we might say, of quarantine. Listen, during this time, God wants to do something in all of our lives. I want to say to you right now, don't waste this time. Redeem the time. God wants you to redeem this time. Listen, last I checked, Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. God works all things out for good 
to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's a lot of things right now that aren't good, but God will work and is working things out for good to those who turn to him during this time. And the Psalms, we come and we're looking at these Psalms because they give us a way to process our emotions. And I don't know about you, but I've literally experienced it seeing, I think, every emotion over the last couple of weeks, the highs and lows. And I come to the book of Psalms and there's every emotion laid out before me, not in a textbook, but in a casebook. And what I mean by that, these are real men who went through every single emotion and had a way of not only processing them, but a way of engaging them and, and, and spiritually coming out the other side in joy, connecting with God. And so they're not simply meant to be studied. No, the book of Psalms is not simply a textbook that we study and go, oh, that's a great principle. No, they're meant to be prayed. They are meant to be sung. And when you sing something, man, the truth gets inside of you. When you pray something, it's not just simply cerebral. It's not just simply external. It becomes internal. It has a way of absolutely changing and shaping you. And so the Psalms are instrumental in our life of spiritual discipline. The, the discipline that we should practice of singing, of prayer, of Bible study. And why do we practice the disciplines? It's because formation happens. We become the men and women that God wants us to be. And the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Psalm 103, a strategy for the struggle of what to do during this time. How do we pray? How did David pray to come out on the other side full of hope? Pastor Daniel gave us a great message last week through Psalm 42. You know, as a deer panteth for the water, how do we find hope in the midst of this? Well, tonight we're going to look at Psalm 32 and we're going to change gears a little bit. We've been hearing a lot of messages about hope how to deal with fear and anxiety. And we're going to continue to hear those. But tonight, I really feel it's a time to be challenged a little bit, a time to look. And we're going to look at this idea of confession. There are things right now that are coming to the surface because, listen, pressure reveals priority. You put a tea bag in hot water and things are released, right? The, the, the leaves inside the bag are just that. You, they're inside the bag. But the moment you put it in hot water, all the flavors, what's in the bag gets released. Well, there are really good things that are being released right now. And if we're honest, there are some things right now that are kind of being exposed that perhaps we didn't know were in there. And so many Christians realize right now, the, the Bible tells how do we heal our land when we humble ourselves and we call upon the name of the Lord. When we do that, God promised, and nationally, there definitely needs to be a cry of repentance. But listen, that starts with us first. There has to come a time when we personally say, not just their sins, not just our national sins, but my sins. And there are things right now that God is allowing, that God is putting his finger on. I know in my life, and I'm certain in your life as well. And the reason that he is revealing these things is so he can heal these things. So he can do a deep work in you. Listen, that prayer that you've been asking in fact, I didn't even know the song we were going to sing right there during offering about God refining us and purifying us. Well, that's what God is doing right now if we'll allow him. This time that can be used to redeem, to heal, to, 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 to change us and shape us into people that we never thought or imagined. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the great disciplines in the Christian life is the discipline of confession. And that's what Psalm 32 teaches us. How to deal with our sin. How, do we, how to deal with those things that kind of get brought to the surface. To confess them and so that God can heal them, that God can forgive, that we can be changed. And I don't know about you, but if I'm ever wanting to study something, if I want to hear somebody teach me something, I always want to have an authority on the subject, right? You want to know somebody that's actually experienced it, not just simply theoretically, but they've actually walked through it. 
Listen, there is no greater authority than David when it comes to great sin and great forgiveness. Uh, you know, I can think of nobody who loved God more, it seems like, in the scriptures and yet failed God greater and yet on the other side experienced the joy of forgiveness. I titled this message, The Joy of Confession, and there is a joy in confession and the joy is found on the other side. It's the forgiveness that we experience, that David experienced. Listen, David writes this on the other side of the worst events of his life. The context for Psalm 32 is the same context for Psalm 51. It's a great sin of David and Bathsheba and murder, the worst time in his life and really the life of any person just about. And yet David can come through on the other side and he writes in verse one to be blessed. How? Through confession. Confession is a key part of repentance. Sometimes we think they're synonymous. Oh, they go together. And so tonight we're gonna focus on confession. What does it mean to give voice to our sin? What do we do when we speak and acknowledge? Where do we go? How do we deal with it? Three simple points, the need for confession. And we'll look at what the text tells us, the way of confession. What are the essential parts if we're going to do it right, if we're actually going to confess? And finally, the secret of confession, the, the hope that we have when we confess. We'll turn with me again in verse one. Look at what David says. He says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered, the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David's describing for us the life of somebody who's blessed. Psalm one begins this way. Blessed, you wanna be blessed? Get in the word, Psalm one says. You wanna experience a blessed life. And when the Bible talks about blessed, it's not just simply, oh, he's blessed and it's kind of a nice feeling. No, blessed is so much more than that. To biblically be blessed, it can be translated, oh, how happy. How supremely content, fulfilled it can be that you're whole. And the joy that David is describing, the, the blessed life that he wants for, God wants for his sons and daughters, it's found on the other side. It's found in forgiveness. When we know what to do with our sin, when we experience what God does, when we come to him with our sin. That's the blessed life. It's the one who experiences forgiveness. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 7. Luke 7, there's a story of a woman who comes and everybody else is kind of embarrassed. Like, oh my goodness, what is she doing? He's a, he, Jesus in the home of a, a religious person. This woman lets down her hair and breaks the, the alabaster jar and anoints Jesus and Jesus defends her. He basically goes on to say, he who is forgiven much loves much. And the point he's making is not that, oh, there's some who need to be forgiven little and some that need to be forgiven a lot. No, it's those who realize how much they need to be forgiven, which is all of us. And when we realize that, man, you love much. That's what David is describing. Blessed on the other side of the person who is forgiven of what? Of sin. Yeah, we're gonna talk about sin. Not a popular subject, but four things David says to us in these first couple of verses. In fact, he uses four different Hebrew words. First word he uses is transgression. Transgression means a willful act of disobedience. We all know what transgression is. When you tell your, your kids, don't do this, and they do that. It's, listen, we've all done it. Wet paint. You know, so there's something within us. There's this desire, like we know what is right and wrong, and we choose to, for whatever reason, to be defiant. That's a transgression. He says the word sin. Sin, we know, most of us know, it literally means to miss the mark or to stray from the path. God has a perfect standard and we miss the mark. We stray from the path that he has laid out in front of us. 
The word iniquity, he says, he also used that word iniquity. It literally means a, a, a perversiveness, a crookedness. It describes the condition of the person who's got this bent. And apart from the Holy Spirit intervening in our life and renewing us, there's this bent that leads us away from God. This iniquity that's within us. And finally, the word he uses is deceit. And we all know what that means. I don't have to elaborate that. Sin's deceitful. And for a time, sin seems fun. It seems like it's great. It's going to go on forever this way. And finally, it deceives us. We realize, oh my goodness. And sin, when we allow it to continue in our life, it, it leads us to deceiving others. We think we can deceive God, which we know we can't. And we even deceive ourselves. Let's be honest. Nobody likes to talk about sin. A lot of churches don't even talk about sin anymore. It's a scary, sad thing. The world treats sin lightly. I mean, they, even in marketers, it's kind of funny how they deal with sin and they either don't mention it at all or they use their ad campaigns. They'll describe something that they're trying to sell. Ooh, this is sinfully delicious. I've seen things in, in shows, oh, I'd sin with that person. It's like, like that's, what? But that's how we treat sin. Like it's not that big a deal. It's kind of something to toss around. When we talk about sin and guilt, we have a lot of people go, what, what? sin and guilt, what? It's 2020. It's not the 1950s. It's not the first century. We've moved beyond such labels like sin and guilt and right and wrong. We live in a time and an age where it's like, no, you do you. What's right for me is right for me. What's right for you is right for you. You do you, I do me. But listen, the reality is that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. It doesn't work because David goes on to describe what his life was like when he held on to his sin, when by his own words, he tried to ignore his sin or to cover his sin, act like his sin wasn't there. Look at, listen to what he says about his physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual condition. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. David very vividly is describing that, that time when he had sinned and the year we think about that it took before Nathan the prophet finally came and confronted him with the sin where David just tried to keep on going on. I'm gonna do me, that's what kings do. And he had a way, he thought, to rationalize the sin. It's not a big deal, but he describes the, literally the physical toll. Physically, he describes the aches in his body. He describes the mental anguish that he was enduring. And here's the thing, those things are still true for people. Whether they admit that they're sin or not, they just don't have ways of dealing with it. And so people visit psychologists and they visit counselors and they visit their doctors and doctors say, well, I don't know, here, take this pill. Because we don't have terms like sin, confession, and forgiveness because, well, there's what's wrong, it's up to you and what's right is up to you. The fact of the matter is whether you realize it or not or whether you admit it or not, no, sin is a very real thing and we all feel the effects of sin. David talks about something here. Verse two, I think that's very illuminating about sin when he says the blessedness that came to him and he talks about it a few different times about being covered. And, and, and by David saying, blessed is the man whose sin is covered, he's alluding to something that some of you Bible students know. It happens right away in the beginning of the Bible. When Adam and Eve, our, our parents sinned, the very first thing they did is they realized they were naked. They were uncovered. They were exposed. And what did they do? They went to sow fig leaves. You know, I mean, 
just, I always laugh just thinking about sewing fig leaves and putting this together. Why? Because they were trying to hide from God. And when we think about that picture, what they actually literally did, that's a great picture of this feeling that everybody goes through apart from God until they come to God, this feeling of being uncovered, of being exposed. There's a reason why we have labels like imposter syndrome. While people constantly, whether they're Christian or not, or religious or not, they, they, they feel like a fraud. They feel like somebody's going to find out who they really are. Why do you feel that way? It's this idea that you're uncovered. It's this idea that people are gonna look and discover who I really am, who you know you are, that you're hoping nobody else will ever see. There's this nakedness. It's, it's why so many people have this recurring nightmare. What's this recurring nightmare? It's like one of the top five recurring nightmares that you show up in your dream and you're in some public place. You're at school giving a book report or you're at your job and you're giving a PowerPoint presentation and all of a sudden you look down and you're in your underwear. Why do you feel like that? It's a weird dream because it's a, it kind of reveals this idea that you are uncovered. David knew during that time when he held on to and he tried to cover his sin, really, he was uncovered. Maybe tonight, if you're honest, that's what you've been feeling. And, and you may not think of using the words uncovered, but you're anxious, you're fearful, you're hoping nobody finds out, or you, you've been rationalizing, acting like it's not a big deal. But the reality is you, you feel uncovered. Listen, tonight, during this time, during this season, all of the distractions are being torn away from us. And God, like he did with David, David talks about, God, your hand was heavy. At least David realized at the end of all this, maybe it took him a while, but he realized at the end of all this that he was enduring, it was the loving hand of God and a severe mercy trying to get David's attention. And right now, God, during this time, like a tea bag, you know, some things are kind of being released and God's not trying to expose. He doesn't want you to feel, you know, uncovered. No, God actually wants to cover you. He wants to deal. He wants to bring these things out so you can be forgiven, so that you can be healed, so that you can be used in greater ways, so that God can do a greater work in and through your life. And tonight, this season is a time to deal with those things in your life, in your family's life. In your ministry, it's a time that God says, now's the time. This is the day. This is the opportunity. Don't waste it. I love you. And I want to change you. I want you to deal with these things that you've been holding on to for quite a while. Listen, it took David a year, a year that David held on to the most horrendous sin. For some of you, you've been holding on to sin for a week, a few months, or a year, or it could be decades. I don't know. But now's the time the prayer that you've been asking, God, cleanse me, search me. Now's the time when God's saying, I will do that and I love you. Not to, not to harm you, but to heal you. Not to expose you, but to ultimately to cover you. So what do you need to do when you feel this? If you, you're, you're there listening tonight to this message and you're thinking, yeah, what do I need to do? I know I've been trying and I can't seem to shake this feeling. We do what David did we confess. We, we take our sins and we'll see what we actually need to do. And it's really simple. It's not complicated. And if I complicate it, listen, I'm not doing my job because it's really simple. We confess, we bring it to the Lord. And I want to say it's so liberating. That's why David, he, he confesses and that's why he's talking about in verse one. And we'll see at the end of it, there's joy. There's, there's a liberation that God wants to bring right now to you. 
into your heart, into your mind, a psychological, an emotional, more than that, a spiritual blessing, a release that you've been holding on to things for so long. God says, I want to, I want to break that. I, I want to free you from that. I want you to experience my peace. I want to silence the voices. I want to silence the voice of the accuser. I want to take away that fear that's been just kind of with you wherever you have gone, that somebody's going to find out. You're going to be exposed. God says, tonight, if you'll confess, I'll forgive and I'll heal. So what do we need to do? Three simple things that we see in the text. And the first thing is we have to understand the need for confession is you must have a clear standard. You must have a clear standard. Listen to what David says here. He says here in verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you, God. To you, Lord. In Psalm 51, which is a companion psalm, David says, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Now, we look at that and we're like, what do you mean, David? You sinned against a whole lot of people. You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against Joab, the general. You sinned against the entire nation because you put the entire army at risk trying to cover your sin. How can you possibly say against you and you only have I sinned? And David would certainly admit, no, he's sinned against all those people. But primarily, we need to understand our sin, when we talk about sin and iniquity and trespasses, it's against the Lord. And when I bring that up, what I mean by that, and what we understand is having a, a clear standard, because listen, the world's standard of right and wrong is always changing. Isaiah prophesied in the end times, what was good will be called evil, and evil is good. Listen, what we thought 10 years ago was good is now evil. What was right a few months ago is now wrong. It changes constantly. If we look to the world to define for us what's right and wrong, man, it's constantly shifting. Do we do what uh, uh, Disney tells us? Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide, Pinocchio. No. Sounds great. It's a great cartoon. But I know my own conscience. It deceives me. I know my own life and I know the lives of so many as a pastor I've counseled and prayed with. Sometimes people have a guilt that they shouldn't have. There's some of you out there that you feel guilty for things and you haven't been able to shake it. And the reality is it's a false guilt. And the reason you feel this way is because the enemy has spoken to you and you just under this weight of condemnation and the standard you're not really looking to is the Bible or what God has said. You're kind of just based on your, your feelings. And for some, you need a standard because you have a false sense of guilt. But for a lot of other people, they don't feel guilty at all when they should, right? There's a lot of people that we know. In fact, I've been that person before. You look at them, you're like, dude, how do you not feel guilty? There are times I can remember this one person right now. I'm in the restaurant and he's talking to me about how he cheated on his wife. And there was like no guilt whatsoever. It's like he was entitled to this. There was like no standard of right and wrong, no sense of guilt in his life. I had to bring the word to him and share with him and plead with him under the power of the spirit to understand what he was doing and the hurt that he was causing, not just to his family, but to God. A, a few weeks back, a few months back, my, my family and I, my wife and I, we, we were on this kick for a while. We were just reading and watching, I should say, a lot of documentaries on Netflix, and particularly during World War II and how they were trying Nazi war criminals. And we watched a series of these documentaries. And the one thing that just struck me over and over again is everybody that they, they prosecuted, everybody that they captured and put on trial, not one of them felt any kind of remorse. 
Every single one of them pleaded innocence or, uh, well, is it my fault or I was just following orders. And, and you're watching, it's so like, how do you not feel guilty? You of all people should experience guilt, but, but we all know people like that. We have to have a, a clear standard of what is right and wrong. Should I feel guilty about this or not? I'm gonna use a prop. We all like props, right? Um, and since we're all at home and I had the opportunity, this here, I think some of you know, is a, it's a level. And the Bible talks a lot about needing a plumb line. It's something that construction workers use to make sure a wall is you know, perfectly at 90 so you don't get the leaning tower of Pisa. And there's times that I'll hang something at, at the house and sometimes when I'm in a rush, I'll just kind of try to eyeball it. And I'll put the pictures up. I've done this. Yeah, probably I used to a lot more than I do now because I want to make sure Annie is happy and so it's not a little crooked or a little off. But you know, you, you just try, I'm going to eyeball it and you kind of hang it up there and that ah, looks good. And everybody comes in and you're like, dude, that thing's crooked. And you're like, you know it, but you don't want to really take the time to rehang it. <laughs> so you got to pull out a level, right? And when you get the, 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 I don't know if you can see that. Once you get the, the bubble right there, listen, you know it's level. We need a level because when we're talking about things right now, we're not simply talking about hanging a picture. I hang a picture wrong, who cares? I mean, it's, it's annoying, but it doesn't have eternal consequences. When we're talking about sin, iniquity, and trespasses, you better make sure that you have a clear standard, that you have a level. Because the ramifications aren't simply a picture that's crooked. It's the ramifications of eternally with God or without God. And a lot of your lives are askew. A lot of your lives really have no standard. Your standard is whatever you feel like, like Jiminy Cricket. No, you have to have a clear standard. David said, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Number two, you must take full responsibility. It's probably one of the hardest things to do and the reality is we all know what this is like when we're on the receiving end, right? When somebody apologizes to us and the apology is filled with um, qualifications, well, I'm sorry, but, or I understand you're offended. I'm sorry if you feel offended. And there's all these like qualifiers, there's all these, these excuses, there's all this blame. We hate it if we're on the receiving end of that. And yet we are so good on the other end of trying to shift blame. Yeah, I know I did wrong, but it was somebody else's fault. Or I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, we have to take full responsibility. For a year, David didn't. He ignored it. He acted like it wasn't there. He tried to blame other people. But listen again to what he says in verse five. He says, as I acknowledge my sin. God's, David says to God, this is my sin. He says, I did not cover my iniquity. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David didn't say, well, Lord, I'm sorry, but you know that woman. I mean, come on. I, I, I didn't know she was going to be there. I mean, what was I supposed to do? She was on the, she's on the tub, on the, on, on the porch and on the tub. I mean, come on. I didn't know it was going to be on my computer screen. I didn't, no. David took full responsibility. This is my sin. I have no excuse. Real confession starts when we take full responsibility. We don't offer any lame excuses. We don't shift blame. We're really good at avoiding responsibility. In fact, our, our whole you know, litigation you know, industry is based on nobody really wanting to take responsibility for anything, either individually or corporately. That's why it exists. We've become masters at blame shifting. 
masters at denial, masters at pointing the finger. I wonder tonight, do you need to own up to something? Something that perhaps you did at work, something perhaps you did in your, in your own personal life and in your family? Is it an attitude? Is it an action? Is it a persistent pattern in your life that, yeah, that's just, just, just who I am. It's just my dad. I'm Irish. I got a, I got a temper. So we do. I don't know what it is. It's time tonight. The Lord would say, no, no more making excuses. No more putting it off till tomorrow. No more pointing the finger at somebody else. Tonight's the night where you say, no, this is my sin, my iniquity, and you bring it before the Lord. Can't tell how many times I've sat in a, you know, couples counseling, marriage, where the wife's pointing the finger at the husband, the husband's pointing the finger at the wife. And at some point, I, I, I'll ask him, well, do you have any part to play? Well, yeah, but she. Well, yeah, but he. And neither one will take responsibility. And as long as either one, you know, neither one will, they're stuck. We must learn to say, I was wrong. I've sinned. I've no one else to blame. Yes, the, the, the devil tempted me, but he didn't make me. You know, with that movie, well, the devil made me do it. Listen, the devil didn't make you do anything. Oh, he's really good at tempting, but you have a free will. And that same free will you chose to sin, and that same free will you can choose right now to confess and find healing. Third thing is this, is you must distinguish between real confession from self-pity. Real confession from self-pity. What do I mean by that? You're not just simply sorry for the pain that you are experiencing. If David was only sorry for his bones groaning and not what he did to the Lord, he'd still be in the same place. He never would have changed. And a lot of times the reason we're not different on the other side is, man, we might cry. You might cry. You might tell that person, oh, I'm so sorry. You might even say, God, I'm so sorry. And you're in tears. But the next week, the next month, the next year, you're doing the same thing over. You might feel remorse. You might feel regret, but you certainly haven't repented. You certainly haven't confessed like David confessed, the kind of repentance that leads to real forgiveness, that leads to real change. Because a lot of times that we do that and we're really no better off. In fact, we are worse off. Again, look, listen to his confession. It's, it's illuminating the words that he says and how he puts them together. Uh, particularly in verse five, not only does he acknowledge his sin, he says this, I, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave, listen, the iniquity of my sin. David felt and experienced after confessing the forgiveness of the iniquity of his sin. And you might read that and think, well, was he just kind of being redundant in the sinfulness of my sin, you know, the transgressions of my sin? What does it mean by the iniquity of my sin? Is he just kind of, you know, in hyperbole trying to drive home a point? No, I think there is some of that, but more than that, there's something he's saying. He's saying, God, you forgave the sinness of my sin. I didn't just miss the mark. Oh, I did this act, but what was, what was underneath the act? What was the motivating factor behind it? Lord, you forgave because I understood that my sin wasn't just missing the mark. It wasn't just doing this, but why I did what I did because I did this against you. David was getting to the heart of his sin. The sinness of his sin, the sinfulness of his sin. And notice after he does this, a little bit later on, we see David began to sense 
and follow along with me where I'm going with it, you begin to sense God's voice. In verse eight, God is speaking here. God is saying, David, I will instruct you. He says to you and, and me tonight, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, eye to eye. Listen, that's what God is after. When we talk about moving from self-pity to real confession, it's this understanding when we sin against God, the heart of what God is after. Because on the other side of this confession, David starts to sense, he starts to hear God saying, I will lead you, I will guide you. That's the language of relationship. David's understanding the iniquity of a sin wasn't just what he did wrong, but who he did it against and why he did it. God wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. It's about a relationship, a personal relationship. David goes on to say right on the heels of verse nine, he says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit or bridle or it will not stay near you. Now, when I first read that a few times, I thought David was just simply saying, listen, don't be stubborn. Don't be an idiot. Deal with your sin. And I think there's a side of that. Don't be stubborn. Don't be a mule, we say. Don't be a donkey, man. Deal with your sin. But I think there's something a little bit more, a deeper layer that we can see here. Again, the iniquity of your sin. Why does a mule and this, or a horse, why does it obey its master? And David's saying, don't be like this. Because if you've ever ridden a horse or a mule, you know, you, in order to get it where you want it to go, you have to put, like David says, a bit in its mouth. You want to turn to the right, you, you kick it. You want to turn to the left, you, you kick it. There's a little pain that is applied to the mule in order for the mule to submit its will and to go where you want it to go and to do what you need it to do. And David was saying like his own life, like I know in my own life, too often we're like mules with God. And we obey simply because we don't want to feel the pain. That's what I mean by the difference between real confession and self-pity. Self-pity means I feel bad, this stinks, I don't like the way I feel, I will get out of this. And we can change for a little while. And like a, like a mule, eventually, it, it, the mule learns, like, I don't want to get kicked, so when I get gently nudged, I'll just I'll listen. And what that produces is like the kid, when you tell him, sit down, and the kid won't sit down, sit down, he won't sit down. He finally sits down, and the little kid says, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And I think that's true of us a lot of times. We're like mules. And we obey, and, and we change a little bit, because we don't like the way it feels. And, and that's a good deterrent. And there's, that, it can be a good thing, but there's something more, there's something deeper that we need to tap into that real confession brings us to. It's to get us to that place, listen, where we're not just sorry for the pain that we feel, real confession that changes us is when we feel the pain that we've caused, when we're more concerned with the pain that we've caused to others and more than that, the pain that we've caused to God. So when David confesses the iniquity of his sin, that's what he's talking about. The pain, not just simply that he felt, but the pain that he caused. That's real confession. And what that takes sometimes is it takes the Holy Spirit to, to empower us, to give us a, a radical imagination where we don't just simply think through things, how this affects me, but how did my sin affect my kids? How did it affect my wife? How did, more than that, Lord, what is my sin like against you? at some point we have to get to that place. If not, we're just mules. <laughs> if not, we're simply responding because we don't like the way the bit you know, feels in our mouth. We don't like the kick that we're feeling. Yeah, we'll kind of get in line, but 
God has something so much more. Eye to eye, he says, I want to guide you. I want to lead you. I, I want there to be a relationship. I don't, I don't want to have to lead you like a mule, like, like a stubborn mule. And real confession does come when we see the pain that we cause others and particularly even the pain that we cause God. The word confess means to say the same thing. And to confess means I agree with you, God. I say the same thing as you, God. This is wrong. My greed, this is wrong. My, my temper, this is wrong. This lust that I've, that I've kept hidden, Lord, this is wrong. I agree with you, God. And I've been getting kicked, but more than that, Lord, I, I'm sorry, not just for the pain that I feel. I'm sorry for the pain that I cause. I'm sorry for the pain that I caused to you. I don't want to be the mule. Recently, I, I, I kind of caught myself doing that. I, I'd said something to my wife, who's sitting here right now in this room of eight of us. And it was something that the kids and I, we were all joking. And I said something and it was just wrong. I, I meant, I didn't mean what I said the way it said, but I apologized. And as soon as I apologized for it, I started defending myself because I really wasn't as concerned how I made her feel. I was concerned how my kids were going to look at me in light of the comment I had just made. And so I apologized. But my whole apology really was lame because it was all wrapped up in me trying to save face with my kids. Why? I said it, but I didn't mean that. And I really didn't mean that. But I, at that point, it, that wasn't the time or place. At that point, it was all about what I said to her and it was wrong. And it wasn't until later I began to realize, no, it wasn't about me and the pain that I felt. It's the pain that I caused. Listen, right now, the challenge is the Holy Spirit's wanting to bring these things out. The pressure is revealing our priorities. And it's an opportunity, like I said, in spiritual discipline to become the men and women that God wants us to be. The tea bag is being released and some of the things that are coming out are good and some are bad. And when you think about some of these things, the fear. You know, Jesus says, do not worry. And there's been times I've been worrying. Now, when Jesus says, do not worry, that's not a suggestion, that's a commandment. So to worry is actually sin. And you're like, well, that's not fair. I can't help the way I feel. Think about it from God's point of view. When you worry about all these things, you're not trusting him and God's saying, have I not been faithful over and over again? Have I not demonstrated my love in the most powerful way by sending my son? If, I'm, if I would go to those lengths to show you my love to save you, then surely I'm gonna take care of all these other things. You see what I mean? When you start to view your sin, not in light of how you feel, but what it does to God, you're like, oh my goodness. Lord, forgive my greed because I'm holding on and Lord, you've given me more than enough and the things that you've given me aren't for me just to simply hold on to, but God, to be a blessing to others. My anger, my, my fear, all these different things. It's an opportunity right now in the power of the spirit to say, Lord, search me, change me, cleanse me, do the work that only you can do. And finally, we're going to get ready to go to communion in just a moment. But there's a secret of confession. And the secret is this, because David comes out on the other side. It wasn't just this hard hitting. He wasn't just laying down the guilt trip. Listen, we could all feel the weight. But no, David comes out the other side full of joy, not hoping or wishing, but there's an assurance that his sin actually had been dealt with. Again, he says this, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What's the very next verse? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It wasn't, I will confess. And God didn't say, well, let me think about that, David. 
Because some of us feel that way. We're not sure. We never walk away. There's a lot of times that people are, they, they confess, but they walk away still feeling guilty. They're still feeling condemnation. Listen, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you're feeling the condemnation, you haven't really learned the secret of confession, the assurance that I think David received by revelation, that we know by revelation, and we know because we read it in the word of God. Immediately, David knew his sin was forgiven. I mentioned it earlier. David talks about it. He opens this whole psalm with knowing. He says, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. And again, whose sin is covered. And he goes on to say, the man in whom the Lord does not count, or some of your translations say impute iniquity. Those, those terms to count or to impute, they're accounting terms. You impute, you count something. Those are mathematical terms. David is saying, I'm forgiven because God doesn't count that sin against me. What, what do you mean? It would be like you taking a test right before your finals or, or taking a test for your finals right before your final grade and you absolutely bomb the test. You get an F on it and the teacher comes to you and says, well, you got an F, but I'm not going to count this test against your final grade. You get an A. You're like, what? What do you mean I get an A? I, I totally failed. I'm not going to impute this in the record book. I'm not going to count this against you. How, how is that possible? How could David have such an assurance of forgiveness? How could he know this blessing of having his sin covered, of, of really this, this term where the sin that he committed wasn't in his account or it's been dealt with, so it's not held against him? David says this here in verse 7. We've talked about David wanting to be covered. He tried to cover the sin himself and he eventually says in verse five, I, I, I could no longer cover it. But he says this in verse seven and he alludes to something powerful. He says, God, you are my hiding place. God, you're the one who covers me. I need to be covered. I need my sin dealt with. And it's in you, Lord, that I find covering. You are my hiding place. You are the one who preserves me from all the trouble you surround me with shouts or songs of deliverance. And I just had this thought and, and, and track with me here. The whole idea way back in Genesis and what David begins with and all of us experienced, and I kind of talked about this feeling of being uncovered, this feeling that we need to hide. Who are we hiding from? Ultimately, it's, this is, here's what's so crazy. We need to hide from God. It's like, that's what Adam needed. They were hiding from God. They knew their nakedness was being exposed before God. So there's a sense, I need to hide from God. I need to be covered. But as believers, what we learn is it not that we need to hide from God, but there's a way that we can hide in God. And that's what David somehow through revelation discovered. I can hide. Lord, you're in my hiding place. In the midst of my bones groaning and aching and shaking in the, in, in the mental anguish of my sin, I, I felt it. I knew it. I, I need to be covered. How was David covered? He discovered that the hiding place, the covering that he needed was in the Lord. That's what the gospel is. And like I said, David alludes to it here, but the Bible tells us the secret of confession is this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and listen to that word, just, 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How is that possible? How can God cover us? Because what we read here in these verses and many others is that something powerful took place 2,000 years ago on the cross. When we think about the cross, Jesus, he wasn't hung by a rope. He wasn't executed by a firing squad. He wasn't electrocuted. No, he was crucified on a cross. And the death by crucifixion was a humiliating death. It was not only a painful death, but it was a death of exposure. You were uncovered. You were exposed. Everybody could walk by and they could see. That was part of it, the humiliation of it all. Look and see in an example. And so there on the cross, Jesus was uncovered. He was exposed. Why? So that we could be covered. So that we could be hidden in him. And that's why tonight, for some of you, you've had this sense of guilt. You've confessed and confessed and you've never been able to shake it. Listen, 1 John says this, if we confess our sins, we admit them like David said, we take responsibility. We feel the pain that not only we feel, but we feel the pain that we cause. It says here, it doesn't say God is faithful and merciful to forgive us. That'd be great, but he's just, he's fair. What does that mean by the fact that he's just and he's fair? That means Jesus already paid for our sins once and for all. And so what David realized, God, you don't impute. You don't count. The, the ledger, all my sins are listed, but there's a big stamp on the ledger sheet that says paid in full. God is just, meaning those sins can't be brought up against us because yeah, there's a penalty for those sins, but they were already paid and they won't be paid again for those who confess, for those who put their trust in Jesus. So tonight we confess as believers to heal the relationship. Oh, we're sons and daughters. If we are truly in him, hidden in him, we're secure, but we confess as believers to restore fellowship. We confess so God has a way of dealing and pulling out that poison of healing our relationship with others and certainly our relationship with him. We confess so that God can restore us and put us into, once again, into ministry, once again, into use, once again, that we can be vessels of honor used by him. We confess so that we experience what David experienced at the end here of chapter 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Listen, we come to the end when we, when we confess as a believer and when we realize I am hidden in Christ. I know what I've done and your heart grieves, but I am forgiven. You look at the debt, you look at your sin and you see the paid in full. And man, there's freedom. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no guilt. God has done away with it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.